Good to be here with you this evening. Thank you, Ray, for them thoughts. Thank you, Damien, for them songs as well. Um, very fitting for our topic here this evening. As we were reading Hebrews there, I was looking for the group that says, and, uh, and there was a group also that was successful as they prospered and lived in palaces. And it's, it's not there. It doesn't, doesn't tell us about that group. I guess I find that to be, be interesting. And maybe, I think there was some. I think Joseph could be an example of that, maybe. Uh, but it doesn't appear, when I read that, like it was a large group of people that are talked about there. And maybe some of the heroes of the faith uh, that we have would have been wealthy, <clears throat> wealthy people. So I don't know what your first thoughts were when you saw the topic or looked at what it was. One of the um, ways Ray had presented to me when we talked about this topic a little bit in the beginning, he said the other thing we could call it is persecution, a blessing with a question mark on the end. And uh, I guess that's as I looked into it more and I researched persecution and what it is and uh, the history of persecution, I think I have more questions than answers as to uh, why is it a blessing, or is it a blessing? So, um, one, it's a, just sharing a couple of my first thoughts. Talking to Keystone Churches about persecution is like talking to my wife about Trimble Software. She doesn't know anything about it, and she has no desire to experience it. And I, I think some of these construction software, or things software that can help us out in many ways, or, you know, I, I talk about it and look into it and study it, and, and uh, but it's not something I talk about with my wife. She just uh, she doesn't, can't relate to it right, and that's okay. Uh, but I think that's a, there is a little bit of truth to that. When we, when we look at some of these subjects that are in the Bible, we really struggle to understand and relate to and, and uh, try to know about, and, and that's okay. But I think it's good that we, we uh, try to go into and find what's for us today as well. I think it can help us in, uh, in 2021 in Lebanon County. I think it can still be good for us. The other thing I thought about was to listen to someone speak with no experience about my area of expertise can be quite amusing. So whatever your job is or something that you know a lot about, sometimes when you hear somebody talk about it, you can tell by things that they say and their way of viewpoint of looking at it, they have no idea what they're talking about. They're pretty much clueless. And so I think that's what I might sound like a little this evening as I talk about persecution to somebody that's actually experienced it. It would really be interesting to have someone share their uh, testimony or somebody that survived some severe persecution. Uh, that, that would do us well. I think it would, uh, there's, there's a blessing in traveling to another country and seeing the depravity in the world. It's an eye-opener and it does us good when we do that and are able to, to see um, how, how blessed we really are and these many good things that we're blessed with and the the prosperity that we're living in and the abundance that we have, it just opens our eyes when we can go see somebody that's very thankful and a, a happy, content person um, living with much less and that has maybe suffered in a great way. So just something to think about. I'm, I'm talking with uh, lots of lack of experience here tonight. I did decide that I think if, we, if you were to hear someone speak about it, that would have went through it. You know, if someone, if we were to hear someone that's in eternity now speak about it, they're gonna, it comes down to two things they would say. Uh, the first group would say, um, it's worth it all. And, and 
Definitely, beyond shadow of doubt, it, just give it all up. It's not worth it. But there is another side to that. And as I um, spoke in the last couple months here thinking about this, I had the opportunity to ask other people, you know, is persecution a blessing? And it was interesting to hear responses. And some older gentlemen, some historians uh, that I talked to, um, Dan Zimmerman, we were just talking tonight, usually going through the, the distinctive beliefs of the Anabaptists on your winter Bible school on Wednesday evenings. We're doing that as well in the Living Water District. And uh, Dan Zimmerman is teaching our last two. And uh, I asked him the question, uh, is persecution a blessing? And uh, he said, eh, be careful. And, I, and then I said, well, what about Matthew 5? And if you have your Bibles, you can turn a while to Matthew chapter 5. You know, and it, I, I think we have the answer here. Um, but he just cautioned against being too optimistic that persecution is a wonderful thing and it's, it, that it's a blessing and calling it a blessing. Uh, he cautioned that. And, and numerous other people kind of came away with that viewpoint. And one of the reasons is because um, there's, a, there's a blessing that we're experiencing in being able to nurture our young people and, and people that are uh, maybe not as strong and rooted in their faith and they come to faith. We have a real opportunity with our freedom of religion to just walk alongside people and give them lots of time and nourish them and, and uh, water the seeds that are planted, that, that uh, uh, people that choose to take root. We have an opportunity that we should be taking advantage of. If we were to face persecution, there would be those that would not survive that, uh, that would recant. But if you read through history, um, and I don't know if anyone here could recount a story where they've heard a story of someone who recanted and then, then go on about that story. It's almost like um, if, if someone recanted for their beliefs and walked away from God because of persecution, it's a story that's not worth even repeating, and it's not really written down. And it, it's kind of wiped from history, and I can't find stories like that. Uh, there would be some stories where you hear of it happen, but who that person was and why, what their situation was, uh, very hard to find. And uh, a story, I guess, not worth telling is what it comes down to. It's those that that are, are heroes of faith that, that was worth writing down and worth recording the story from. One other maybe quick opening thought, Christian Aid Ministries, I just got a, uh, their, their newsletter here dated uh, February 1st. Teaching and encouragement for persecuted believers. Starts out and it tells a little bit about persecuted people around the world. If you go to their website right now, one of the first things that'll pop up on, the, on their homepage is about uh, the international crisis of people fleeing the crossfire. There's wars and things happening in our world and people are ending up being refugees. So persecution is not um, something that just happened in the Reformation, happened in the early church. It is happening today to many people around the world and an astounding number of people. Just a, a quick uh, two sentences I read on their website, right on the, at the bottom of this section, it says, in the last, the last decade brought a dramatic increase of displaced people around the world. The number of people who fled their homes due to conflict, famine, and persecution nearly doubled from 40 million to almost 80 million in the last decade. So I was reading this to my children, and uh, one of them said, well, we should just bring some of them to our house. And uh, or we should bring all of them to our house, maybe, I think was the comment. So I said, well, wait a minute, 80 million people, 80 million people that have fled their homes, that have, for some reason, some of this could be due to famine as well was included in here, but conflict, famine, and persecution, I don't know what percent of that would have been uh, persecution. 
But it's a staggering number. When I look at 80 million people, it's just hard to fathom. We, I just can't hardly wrap my head around that. But just doing the math a little bit for my children, I said if each person's only uh, takes up about a six inch by foot and a half wide spot and you put them all together, it's over 1,100 acres of people. Just a, a staggering amount of people that have fled their home for one reason or another. It's hard for us to, to quite wrap our head around that we're, um, it maybe brings a, a new perspective on, on we are blessed in so many ways to feel the comfort and the freedoms that we have and uh, to have an appreciation for us, for it. So Matthew chapter five, uh, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verse number three, Jesus starts speaking and he's uh, saying, blessed are these different groups of people, uh, the poor in spirit, they that mourn, the meek, uh, they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And then at verse number 10, it seems like he, he decides now this group needs, you know, we took a couple verses, some short sayings about some of these groups. This group here is worth talking about. This group here is uh, very blessed. Um, he uses three verses here. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Then he gives us instructions on what to do if that should happen. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I just find that very interesting that, uh, that the, the emphasis he puts on uh, that these people are blessed and that we understand that they're blessed. Because uh, I think faith, it takes faith for, the, for us to believe this, to really decide that this is true. For a definition of what persecution is, uh, it's to harass or oppress with ill treatment. Uh, number two, to bother persistently or annoy. And I, I labeled that one as maybe the, um, the persecution of prosperity. Number three, religious persecution can be considered the opposite of the freedom of religion. And all as I know is the freedom of religion. I've, as, since I was born, that's all I know. We have freedom to go out and, and openly proclaim what we believe. And uh, so it's hard for me to Understand what is the opposite, and that is the true opposite, having never experienced it, religious persecution. That's what I want to spend most of my time uh, speaking about tonight would be religious persecution. Uh, the last definition I found was to pursue after in order to harm. And that's when somebody has decided that, that uh, you're a threat to society because of your, what you believe and that, uh, that you need to be persecuted from because of that or done away with. So I have a list of questions I want to go over when I think about, I don't know that I have the answer to this, I'm inexperienced in this, so I want to ask you questions to think about. Uh, one, why does persecution come and go? Why don't we have persecution here today? Ever stop and think about that? Who, who decided that we shouldn't have persecution today? And uh, why isn't it here? Why do we have the freedoms that we have? Turn with me to Job uh, chapter 1. I want to look at uh, a little conversation that I think we can glean a little bit from in understanding this. Job chapter 1, starting at verse 6, says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, 
Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, and one that feareth God and ensueth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge of protection about him, about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Uh, and it's just an interesting little dialogue between God and Satan. And it just appears like um, God almost asked Satan to, um, God allowed it. He, he, he challenged Satan here with this a little bit. And uh, why did he do that? I asked myself the question, why did he... Uh, why did he do that? I'm not sure I have all the answers, but uh, um, I think it's pretty clear that it's okay with God that this happened. He, he was okay with it as a test, as a, as a uh, finding out where, where, where Job really was. And he, did, he had a lot of faith in God. But picture, put yourself in that situation. Would you want God to say that about you? You know, consider my servant and put your name in there and have him uh, take away these things. And, and the first thing Satan did here was accuse God of building this hedge. So that's something else I think we can, we can consider in our day. Uh, does God have a hedge around us? I think he may. There may be a, uh, that hedge, the same hedge of protection spoken about here uh, could very well be a hedge that's built around us, something just to consider. God has that ability. He has that ability to withhold the hand of uh, Satan from, from touching us. Uh, and when I read about things like this in Christian aid, newsletters happening around the world and it could be that he's protecting us in order so that we can have this um, things like faith builders and SMBI going on and reading into scripture and then going out and taking it to other places that can't have it. Christian Aid is doing wonderful things with distributing literature and, uh, and that could be part of it. Um, I think another part of it that is evident here in Job is uh, God gave I should say evident here in Job. It's more evident when I read about persecution in other places. God gave us free choice and he allows it to happen. He also gave free choice to unbelievers. You can choose, and there's many that have, to reject God and then also choose to persecute those that are following God. Um, that's, that's part of what comes along when he gave humanity free choice, the depravity of what human uh, decisions can lead to is uh, almost beyond what we can fathom when it comes to people losing their lives. Uh, there's, there, it was carried out by humans. In, in the situation here with Job, most of what was carried out was natural, natural disasters in many ways. Um, some of it was carried out by humans as well, but there was those that chose to do that uh, persecuting. So it takes a choice for those that choose to do it. So that can be one of the reasons why, why it happens, but I think it's always because uh, God allows it to happen. A third thought I had on this, why does it come and go? Is this possible that Satan has determined that another method like prosperity, is there anything like, am I saying, does it make sense when I say the persecution of prosperity? Is there something like that? Are we, are we in essence being bothered persistently or annoyed? Is that a fair way to look at it? And I guess I can only speak from my own experience in prosperity and there's times uh, in my life when I can say I think uh, 
prosperity wasn't always the best for me. Can you relate to that? It was, it was, uh, uh, there was devastating times in my life and some of it was due to prosperity. If we look at uh, the world around us, sometimes uh, the problems that we're having are related to our prosperity. And is it possible that Satan has considered that, that to be okay and that to be a pretty effective method that he's doing quite well inside of what we think we're inside this hedge and we're being fooled with it. I don't know. I'm just asking the question, uh, why does persecution come and go? And uh, when I read things like uh, uh, there's a, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity at the University of Notre Dame that has written a book called The Myth of Persecution, How Early Christians Invented a, a Story of Martyrdom. Isn't that interesting? Someone with freedom to think and to study early Christianity. Um, that's the book they chose to write, how it's a myth and try to disprove that. Uh, and I asked also the question, why would someone want to disprove uh, that there was those that were willing to die for their faith, that were martyred and persecuted? Why is it important? Why did that person consider that to be important? Ask yourself that question. I think it's because it's, uh, it, it is a strength for us when we're Swimming in this pool of prosperity and trying to find our way through, why sometimes we need that uh, um, realization that those, there was people willing to die for what we so freely enjoy and the freedoms that we have. And uh, we can be scared to speak up and speak out, but when we realize how important these things were to others, why it can, it can encourage us, strengthen us. Another interesting thing is in Matthew chapter 5, why... The very follow-up to this, uh, this, these couple statements on how blessed the persecuted are is that uh, you are the soul of the earth. Uh, if the soul have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be sold? It also talks about being the light of the world. How the city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Um, is it possible that persecution is not coming to us or hasn't come to us because we're hiding that light under a bushel? We just put a, a little bushel over that light and we're just lighting up this little, this little building here, but we're really scared to let it shine out and talk to others about it. Is that possible? Would we experience a little more persecution? I think maybe, uh, especially when I look at uh, uh, the uh, way our world directly right around us is, is grasping at straws and, and struggling so. We should, I think we should speak out. Uh, he made us male and female and just things that we... We need to be vocal that we know that are clear in, in Scripture, clearly laid out that the world around us can't see. They need that light. They need that light to shine out. And uh, that could bring us some, uh, some persecution. Another question, uh, and this I alluded to already in many ways, is prosperity a blessing? If we're going to look at why is persecution a blessing, I think it also does us, who have, uh, does us well, those of us living here today, to think about is, is prosperity a blessing to you? Are we succeeding in passing our faith on, our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, on to our next, the next generation and to others uh, with the prosperity pressing in around us and pressing in on us? Are we really being successful? Are we, are we being who God wants us to be? Are we living inside this hedge of protection and just uh, experiencing the blessing that we are because of that hedge? Is that where it's coming from? Uh, have, we, have we bought into the Christian nation theology? Does our way of life help us to be selfless followers of Christ? 
Are we succeeding in teaching self-denial to our children? Uh, have I learned to deny myself? Are we willing to make short-term sacrifices for long-term grains? Do we even understand what sacrifice means? Just, just questions I, I ask myself and I wonder. Because uh, I, I think sacrifice is wearing braces. I hear about a year and a half ago, I had some teeth issues. Teeth weren't staying in line. And, and uh, my son had some teeth that weren't in line as well. And I uh, decided, well, I guess my dentist said uh, I have a tooth that should be pulled, but he won't pull it unless I go to an orthodontist and get his opinion. So I went to the orthodontist and um, had this long conversation about uh, what happens. And of course, one of the options, what if I just leave it go? Well. You'll be all right for maybe the next 10 years or so, but in your older, later years of life, uh, you will regret it, how your teeth wear, and they'll wear out too soon. You well, very well could outlive your teeth. And uh, so uh, it's his way of putting it. it was, it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. And uh, okay, so he persuaded me to put braces on, and I was not prepared for the, the sacrifice that it is that he was talking about, sores in my mouth and the first week, the one tooth got in fact it was terrible, and I felt I would have, uh, if you'd asked me if it's my dentist is persecuting me, I think I might have told you he is. It was, it was, it's painful, uh, but it, it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain, and then, and that's just a little thing. It's, it's small and insignificant. How many other things in life am I willing to um, look at in that way uh, when it comes to what should we do? How should we help other Christians that are suffering? Are we willing to make these, uh, are, are we living our life in such a way that uh, that, it, that is true, that we're willing to make that sacrifice? Next question, is persecution necessary to authentic Christianity? And, and Ray alluded to this already maybe a little bit. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a pretty plain and clear there that, uh, that you will. If you're going to live righteously, and I think uh, uh, it doesn't say if you, if you speak out, and maybe this just implies if you're living righteously, you're going to speak out about it as well. Um, that's just something to think about. It says we all will be persecuted. And does it mean, I'm just asking the question too, what does that mean? I'm, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, is it this persecution of prosperity just the annoyance or the definition of uh, to bother persistently or to annoy. But I think that persistent bothering or annoying is always going to be an attack on what you believe, an attack on the spirit of truth, an attack on authentic Christianity, an attack on that relationship that you have with Christ and your ability to succeed in living righteously. Uh, and does prosperity do that? Does prosperity meet that definition? I don't know. I'm just I'm asking the question. In the, uh, I think this is alluded to or stated in the book uh, that we're going through on our Wednesday nights, uh, The Distinctive Beliefs of the Anabaptists, was there sta a statement by Tertullian, an early church leader, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Something we've probably all heard already, that those that have died for their faith, they plant a seed, and that seed is what uh, allows the church to grow and, and to prosper in many ways. And is that a true statement? I would say it, it can be. Um, but also, as I looked at the uh, negative side of persecution, maybe those that do recant, those that are not strong enough, and I asked myself, would we be strong enough as a church here 
in our setting today, uh, where would we come out if we individually were each tested and tried for our faith? Uh, one of the things um, that I thought of was the, we all have phones, and on, on your home screen of your phone, you can put a picture. What do you have a picture of there? Are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to walk away? If it's usually something that's kind of dear to you, uh, I have a picture of my wife on the home screen. Am I willing to give that up? Just a tough question to ask yourself. Uh, or find something dear to your heart that, uh, that should you be persecuted, you would have to walk away from it. I think the Bible is pretty clear that uh, uh, it's these things that get in our way. Get in, it's idolatry, really something that we put in place ahead of God that uh, causes us to uh, not have that relationship or would cause us to recant uh, because of having to give something up. So, uh, another question to think about, what should we be doing to prepare ourselves? Because uh, I think we are in a battle. In whatever form that is, what's the best thing we can do um, to also prepare, prepare the next generation maybe as well? We don't know what the, we've seen more turmoil or more... Um, I have a better realization maybe of how quickly things can change, how unstable uh, this, this hedge that we look at. One of the hedges maybe that I would have always felt as a hedge is the, the American government, right? The stability of the American nation. That's kind of this, this hedge that we live inside of. Um, we live inside the, uh, a nation that's protected by the greatest military in the world. So the chance of someone coming from outside and persecuting us always looked pretty far and far away. Uh, but if the year of 2020 didn't teach us anything, that things can change quickly. And uh, the collapse and the instability, the insecurity of a, of a feeble uh, earthly government is what it is. Uh, it's so insecure, and there's no guarantee that uh, the things that we have will last. Uh, that what we do have the guarantee of is the things of eternity that are awaiting us. And uh, do we correctly see that? Are we prepared for that? Um, one of the things I think that's, that's key to preparing ourselves is obviously reading scripture. Not only reading, but understanding scripture. Uh, educating our young men and women to understand the Bible and the principles that are laid out here that uh, when it talks about persecution as being a blessing, do, our, do we understand that? And do we, do we uh, grasp why it's a blessing? And, and, and because of the brevity of life and, and the short-term sacrifice that could be made because of persecution, um, why were the apostles in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, when they were first persecuted after Jesus was gone, and they, they definitely, they, they had it. And they all of a sudden, uh, they rejoiced, and they counted it uh, a joy to be, to be stricken or persecuted for Christ's sake. They had that close relationship with him, and all of a sudden it seems they realized uh, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was telling us here. And, and they were happy about it. Could we do that? Could I do that? I don't know. That's just uh, uh, food for thought. The importance, uh, when I read, especially in the Reformation era, era when there was mass confusion, uh, as, you're, as you're looking about the distinctive beliefs of the Anabaptists, when we have the, um, the start of what we call the start of the Anabaptist church there, and I would say it was, it was simply a continuing on, uh, they looked at themselves, if you read the Martyr's Mirror, 
as a continuation of these faith heroes in Hebrews 11 that we read about. They, they saw themselves or they clearly understood they're, they're in that line. They're just another um, group in this line here. They're extending that line of sacrificing for Christ. And I should say maybe they understood it as well as we can understand it when we look back, as that's what they were. Um, they, trying to think how to say this in, in uh, the best way to, uh, of, of preparing ourselves, they saw the value in the education that they received. Um, I'm going I'm to read a story here. I have, I have two stories here of two different people from that era that were persecuted. One, the first one here is from Wolfgang Pinder. A Hutterite martyr was seized in the summer of 1570 uh, in what's modern-day Bavaria today, where after severe trials, he was so severely tortured that he was unable to stand. He refused to recant, and he was beheaded in, on February of uh, 1571. In February of 1571, the executioner handled him very badly. He could not strike him properly, nor could he execute him with dispatch. He finally, while he was lying on his back on the earth, had to hack or cut his head off as best he could, so that he himself was in great fear and in great peril for his life from the people present, so that he vowed never again in his life to execute any brethren. So a, a horrific story, but someone that uh, didn't go well, didn't, have, didn't work out like he thought, uh, and at the end, he vowed never to do it again. Something happened to him, and he realized this is wrong. This is not right. Um, Hans Brett, a young baker who was the sole support of his widowed mother, also an Anabaptist in Antwerp in the Netherlands, only in his young 20s and newly baptized into the faith, uh, into the Anabaptist faith, Hans had distinguished himself as a Bible scholar, and many new converts sought him out as a teacher. But, as his story is told in the Martyr's Mirror, the devil, the enemy of righteousness, and the envier of the increase of virtue and of the Church of Christ could not long tolerate and endure this. On May 6th of 1576, at 9 o'clock in the evening, the bailiff and his assistants surrounded the bakery and knocked on the door with the intent to arrest all the inhabitants. Alerted to their intentions, Hans warned his mother and his master, Albert Versbeck, who were able to escape. Later, Versbeck became an Anabaptist pastor. Hans and several others, however, were captured and taken to the castle prison. Hans was charged with being rebaptized and was sentenced to be burned at the stake. After being cast into a dungeon, he was tortured and frequently interrogated for the purpose of wringing from him a recantation of his Anabaptist faith. With his intellect, and this is where I want to point out, it appears like he was a well-educated man. With his intellect, however, he was able to resist. From prison, he wrote several letters to his mother and his pastor, Hans de Rice. Hans de Rice was his pastor. A few letters are included in the Martyr's Mirror. In one letter to his mother, dated July 19, 1576, he recounted the history of God's faithful people who had suffered and died, beginning with Abel and continuing through our captain, Jesus Christ. And many of these people, uh, when they wrote, they referred to uh, Jesus Christ as their captain. I find that interesting. They were... That, that he died on the cross, he's my captain. I, I somewhat expect to do the same. Uh, that was a, the way they referred to him normally. And his dear apostles, this letter echoes the theme of the martyr's mirror that the Anabaptist martyrs extended the line of God's suffering people from the beginning of salvation history. 
On the day of his execution, on January 4th in 1577, the authorities subjected Hans to the indignity of a tongue screw. The executioner forced Hans to stick out his tongue, and Hans complied, since, as the martyrs Mary expressed, that he had not a member on his body which he was not willing to deliver up to suffering for the name of Christ. Next, the executioner screwed an iron clamp to the tongue and tightened it. Finally, he burned the end of the tongue with a hot iron, making the tongue swell so that it could not be removed from the clamp. The purpose of the tongue screw was to prevent Hans from witnessing to the bystanders as he was led to the stake. When Hans arrived at the stake, being clothed with Christian glory, he knelt and folded his hands to worship God. But the authorities jerked him to his feet and chained him to the stake. His pot pastor, Hans de Rice, was in attendance and stood as near to the martyr as he dared. As, he, as the pastor watched, the fire rose up and consumed the body of his friend. After the fire cooled, the pastor retrieved from the ashes the only thing that was left of Hans Brett, the tongue screw. Shortly after Hans Brett's martyrdom, his pastor married his mother. Their descendants had passed down the tongue screw from generation to generation as a treasured heirloom that is a symbol of the legacy of the young man's, the young martyr's faithfulness to Captain Jesus Christ. So a horrific story of of things that carried out. But in different stories that I read, over and over again, I read because of his education, because of his intellect. And I just found that to be interesting. Uh, and I think that's something that we can do today is teach our young children the principles of the Bible so that they can understand. And because of their intellect, they will be able to realize uh, and, and see things in a correct way see things and understand them and, and be able to see through the fog of prosperity, the fog of, that the devil puts in front of us to try to confuse us and make us trip up and fall for short-term uh, minimum benefits. I think if we can teach our children well, we'll do, we'll do ourselves a favor. Another important thing we can do is not fear persecution. Just like we don't fear, I think, um, and, and we can, this could be to our demise as well, but I think the world has seen a little bit that we don't have quite the fear of COVID as what many people in the world do. Is that true? Uh, some of that can be present just in wearing masks and how do you decide when to wear masks and how to wear masks. And there's been a lot of talk about uh, that, that people notice the Anabaptist people are less, or it just seems like we, we don't want to comply. Maybe that can be a wrong spirit that we're just not willing to listen to our government and uh, we can, we can do that in the wrong way. But I think also maybe it could be uh, that, that we have a less, less fear of, of dying, and that's a good thing. Um, it, could be either, it could be done either way, I guess, but just something I thought of. Another question, am I, bold, am I willing to boldly proclaim the truth in Scripture to anyone, whoever I might meet? Am I willing to do that? Uh, that that's definitely something that will prepare us um, or we can do to prepare ourselves is proclaim it and be willing to respond or take the response that we might get. So, running out of time here, uh, maybe in closing, why is persecution a blessing? One of the, the, the uh, most basic things that happens is it does purify the church. There's definitely a blessing to the churches in China that there's no, uh, I shouldn't say no hypocrisy. But hypocrisy is not an issue. 
Uh, those that are there, those that decide to come to church on a Sunday evening to hear somebody speak, they're there uh, because they want to be there. And they, they're, they're definitely, there's a commitment level that they get that uh, we have we struggle to get. And, and there's some pros and cons that go along with that, uh, but it, that, that can be a blessing from it. It's a, it's a way of purifying the church. Think about how many of our church problems, if you can think of any church problems that we have or as we relate to each other and try to figure out how do we do church in our area and how we work things out, how we decide how to do things, how many of them issues that we deal with are related to our wealth or our prosperity? And uh, I was talking to one of my neighbor fellows, uh, Sid Everly, some of you might know him, up in the Texture Mountain where we live, and just talking about people in our neighborhood. And, and uh, he said, it's interesting, there's five different mid-Atlantic families that live right in the vicinity there, and they all go to a different church. They can go to the church where they please. We have the ability to just, you know, if we're, we're not happy, we can just drive to the next place and go on to the next place. And there's some, there's some negativity to that. Uh, there's, and that's a, that's a luxury. Many people in the world don't have that luxury. Uh, they're, they're congregating with people that they uh, just can get together with. And then they find a new, um, there's a blessing in that as well, that they just are, are so happy to get together, that they can get together. To find another believer, just somebody that's somewhat like-minded to me and willing to work it out. So we do, uh, this is something that's a negative to us, but that uh, in persecuted areas, it's a blessing to them. There's many confusions, I think, that come up uh, because of the low level of commitment that it takes to join an American church compared to what it does to other churches that we can, uh, even just the example of the church building. Uh, we, can, we call the church building and the church, the people are the church. You know? We can confuse that in some ways, and even in our way of thinking sometimes. Um, growing up in the way we did, it's, it's many times we can just confuse theology that those that uh, don't have a church building or the luxuries that we have, they're not confused about that. Uh, they're receiving a blessing that we're, we can be missing out on. Another obvious point that's uh, here in Matthew chapter 5 is because great is their reward in heaven. We're going through, or we were looking at uh, last Sunday, I think in our Sunday school lesson, about love, God being love and the truth of uh, God's love in uh, 1 Corinthians there. And the more I look at this uh, thought of love and what it is, almost the more confused I get about it. What is love? And uh, it's just such a big subject of what it means, you know, to lay down your life for someone else. And, and so many things that are related to love in the way I look at it. And one of the reasons I think that, uh, that love is hard to understand is because God is love. And if we really understood what love is and love for Christ and our relationship to him, then we would understand God to his fullest. And we, we will never quite do that here on earth. We're grasping with this thing called love and how to do it. But God is a just God. And what appears to be very unjust to me, that there's some that suffer and, and live lives that are they're fleeing their entire life, and there's, that there's 80 million people that are displaced today in the world, doesn't seem fair to me, doesn't seem right. But God is a just God. And I think uh, someday we will understand that it's all made fair. Uh, their reward, those that suffer, will receive a reward in heaven. And will we miss out in portion of that? I don't know how that'll be made fair. But I do know God is a just, a fair God. 
Romans chapter 12. Turn with me to Romans 12. I'd like to read that as a closing scripture. The first three verses. Start with verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, that every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I think that's something that we can do, to think, uh, to prepare ourselves just to think soberly, and not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Tim Stauffer, uh, my uh, fellow pastor there, he was, uh, uh, I was, we were talking on this subject a little bit and um, asking him what, what should we be doing, what's the best thing we can do for our children in the world that we live in, and he said, teach them to deny themselves. That's one thing we can do. Try to teach them to deny themselves. If we're successful with that, um, we'll, we'll be, learning not to conform to this world, but be transformed. But if you go back and read verse 1 here, that it talks about being successful to do these things, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A sobering verse when you think about persecution, that we are to present our bodies, everything physical here on earth. Uh, that's, that's what's asked of us. And that comes maybe in a more figuratively way in our world and, and what we've experienced so far here in America, uh, that we're not conformed to this world be, uh, to be uh, renewed in our mind. But it does mean literal also. I think if we'd be called to do that is where we'd be challenged. But I also have confidence that uh, through studying God's word, understanding God's word, uh, the, that he will give us grace for whatever trials that we are faced with. If his grace is good enough for those that, success, that uh, face severe persecution, his grace will also be good enough for us to live successfully in, uh, in America in 2021. Let's pause for prayer. Our Father, we come to you tonight and just want to thank you for your words that you've given us and the encouragement that you've given us through them to be able to understand that uh, life is short and it's temporal. And also that uh, uh, there's many that have gone on before us that have successfully lived out the Christian life and walked this journey for us and for, that you came to earth to show us a way as well, to follow your way. Help us to be willing to um, be willing to lay down everything that we have and be willing to give up all the uh, things that we have and to see them as earthly and temporal and short as we are faced with the um, many blessings and good things that come from you, but things that can also tempt us to, um, to help or to try to steer us away and just help us to uh, be able to see uh, what's from you and what's not from you and to know the difference and to understand um, what you called each one of us to do in different ways. Help us to reach out to the world around us, to our neighbors and those that are close around us that we have the ability to learn to know and to meet as we go about business in our daily walk, that we'd be willing to speak out and uh, reach out to those that are hurting, that are less fortunate, that don't know about your ways, that we could uh, be that light, be that city that's set on a hill that shines out to the world around us. Help, not to, help us not to um, 
be fearful or be tempted to put that bushel over it, but that we might be able to uh, be our, your hands and your feet and do the work that you would have us to do. May this in Jesus' name.